1: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio and I love all things tech. And it's time for a classic episode. This episode originally published July second, two thousand fourteen. It is titled "Tech Stuff Camps Out," which I, I'm sure was metaphorical because I can't remember the last time I camped out. I'm a city boy, but let's listen in. I want to find out what our personal um, opinion is toward camping. Lauren, are you a, are you someone who would go camping?
1: Uh, no.
0: No. I mean, yeah. bas-
1: basically not. Well, it's okay. I've got some friends who are into camping. My roommates are very much into camping. Uh huh. And it has been suggested as an extracurricular activity to me. And I, I'm not entirely against it. Uh, if I had a certain number of creature comforts. Right. Like, I would want to actually be within Easy distance of a shower if I was going to be out there yeah. within a couple for for more than a couple days. A, a
0: toilet would
1: not be yeah. would not be I'm frowned upon. Really fond of bathrooms in yeah. general. I like them.
0: I, I I see where you're coming from, Vogelbaum. On this, we are simpatico <laughs> when it comes to this. I have camped in the past. Uh, I have gone camping before, and I am also. Uh, I think I've just reached a point where where the the joy of it. Is outweighed by the inconvenience and and the uncomfortable factor. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't do so well if I sleep on the ground these days. I don't move so well. I'm (laughs) celebrating a birthday today as we're recording this podcast. At the age I'm at, I don't bounce back the way I used to. But Um, hey,
1: happy birthday. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Uh, Noel, I know you're not on mic, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask, are you, are, do you enjoy going camping? Noel says he has not been camping since Cub Scouts. So, yeah, we're um, we're experts on the subject, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has stayed in a yurt. Uh, that is fantastic. I, I once helped put up a yurt, which, by the way, is quite the effort. Uh, I used to be part of the Society of Creative Anachronism, the SCA. Ah, uh-huh. and there's yeah. yurts aplenty. But um yeah,
1: and generally don't really do well outside. I mean, yeah,
0: we're we are creatures that prefer the air conditioning, uh the the shelter from the sun.
1: Um I'm kind of cave dwelling. I mean, I'm even a little bit translucent like some of those like deep sea shrimp. Right. So
0: yeah, so so but we can appreciate why people would want to go camping? Oh, yes, nature is beautiful, and the idea of camping is something that really appeals to me. It's just the reality. <laughs> and And also, to be fair, we all are living in in Georgia, which tends to get very hot and humid in the summer, but that's like your your prime camping season. And it could be really hard to uh, deal with pleasant. Yeah. yeah, but but anyway, that being said, we wanted to talk about camping, look at some of the gear and talk about even just the history of camping itself, because it's not that old of uh, recreational activity when you talk about something that's really widespread. I mean, there always have been adventurers and outdoorsmen and outdoorswomen, if you prefer, sure. who have loved to experience nature in its most primitive forms, but you know, as, as a recreational activity that was widespread, it's, it's pretty new.
1: Oh, well, sure, because people didn't really widely live in cities until the industrial revolution. Yeah. Circa the 1920s here in the United States. Right. Certainly. So you,
0: yeah, you got all these people who are already living out, out in rural areas. They, that was kind of their everyday experience. You can already
1: see the stars. Yeah.
0: Uh, but once you had people moving en masse into the cities, you had a lot of folks say, you know, I kind of miss being able to commune with nature and to have that experience. And then once the automobile came along, this became an ability for people to travel great distances in a short amount of time and made it possible for them to do things like plan a trip for a weekend or a week. Right, sure. So that's when we started seeing camping uh, come into fashion. In fact, there were a couple of uh, pretty famous folks who were, uh, you know, they were responsible for a lot of the technological development that we enjoy today. People like Henry Ford and Thomas Edison, who reportedly very much enjoyed going camping. So, you know, it does have its connection to technology. I know a lot of people, when they first hear this, are going to say, what does camping have to do with tech? Well, part of it is that the industry exists because of technology.
1: Oh, right, right. Uh, And then another bit of technology that has led to camping being widespread is the highway system.
0: That is true. Once the interstates were uh, established, and that really is no, part of tech. It took a lot of technology just to make that happen. Oh, sure. But once that was established, it meant that people could get to really remote places, including places like national parks where historic landmarks or, or na- natural landmarks were. And then you started having these parks establish official campgrounds so people could come out and enjoy that, that park. So we really saw it take off and, uh, you know, the 1950s was like a, a camping boon where it went bonkers. And now, these days, around 47 million people in the United States go camping every year. Uh, the rest of us know better, is what I put in my notes. <laughs> um, yeah, I said my ideal camping situation is a hotel room with uh, room service. That's my favorite kind of camp.
1: My ideal camping situation is not camping, because that's really annoying in first-person shooters, you guys. <laughs> that's true. Keep moving. It's
0: a legitimate strategy. Jeez. All right, so we wanted to start off by talking about tents, Um, You know, it's one of those things that is a basic need in camping. You need something to help keep the elements off you to maybe protect you either from anything from rain and storms to just the the bugs in the area, that kind of thing. And basically, you know, they they haven't changed a whole lot since we started having a whole industry around
1: Mm -hmm. them. I mean, anything with a basic pole structure and some kind of fabric to be stretched over. That right. structure and
0: maybe some lines that secure the poles to the ground so mm-hmm. that it gives it that stability,
1: some kind of spike to help secure it. Sure.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that's these are, basically it. Yeah. Your basic dome tents, your A-frames, walled tents. The walled tents, by the way, look pretty much like a house, but in tent form. Uh, these are all, you know, basics and you have those poles to give the rigidity and the, the lines to provide the stability. But we have actually seen some development in tent technology over the past to really advance things. One of them is just making them lighter.
1: Uh, yeah. Material science is a huge part of the technology that we're going to be talking about today.
0: Right. And if you are someone who likes to go camping, particularly if someone who wants to go hiking a good distance and then set up a camp, Having your gear not weigh too much is a huge issue. I mean, you don't. Oh,
1: sure. Or being able to replace the weight that you would have had to devote to a tent with tasty snacks or yes, et cetera. Yes, you know.
0: because, you know, some of us are not so uh, so proficient at gathering food in the wild
1: uh, or are unwilling to eat their weight in MREs.
0: I have yet to find fruit roll ups growing just freely. So I have to carry them with me. Uh, these are important, important things in my mind. So yeah, this idea of developing lighter material. There's, um, uh, kind of a, a trademark material, right? Called cuber, cuban, sorry, cuban fiber, C-U-B-E-N, not cuban as in Cuban peat.
1: right it's the brand name of this type of non-woven fabric meaning that the stuff is made from layers of plastic filaments that are bonded together and then coated it can be really light and thin and strong especially compared with traditional woven fabrics even lightweight plastic ones like say nylon or polyester Polyester,
0: yeah yeah and then you can also find uh, ultralight tents that use carbon fiber for the the poles that you put through it so Mm -hmm. Anyone who listened to our carbon fiber podcast, you know, one of the things about carbon fiber reinforced material is that it's really, really light. So, again, you cut down on that weight. You can find some of these two-person tents that weigh less than two pounds total with the poles included. Oof. Yeah. I mean, this is this is pretty light when you think of this is where I'm going to be sleeping tonight. Uh, now, granted, they also tend to be rather expensive. Uh, the ones that are made out of this material anyway, like the ones I was looking at, they were between $1,500 and 2000 That's a lot of money for a two-person tent.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, there are some serious camping hobbyists out there.
0: Sure. Yeah. There's some who, who have the, the money to spend on their hobby like that. There are other ultra-lightweight tents that are not nearly that expensive. Most of them are using other types of material or they might be slightly smaller. Like you might be able to fit two people in it, but you better be really good friends. Uh, cause you're gonna be shoulder to shoulder inside that tent. Particularly if you're built like I am. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, it's, it's, you know, that's one of the things we looked at was just the idea of creating material science that will allow you to carry more stuff. Yeah. Now, that's not the only kind of advanced tent we looked at. Uh, uh
1: yeah, the next one on our list is inflatable tents and to me this sounds like you're bringing a bouncy house out into nature if
0: only that were the case i i can just imagine a bear doing somersaults in the air being super happy that's
1: so cute except for the part where bears are jerks
0: bears can be jerks yes um this is true but uh, you know to be fair humans can be pretty big jerks (laughs) but no that's we don't eat our prey from the feet
1: first so that the meat stays fresh
0: (laughs) no no uh we we find far more insidious ways, but True. at any rate, Sorry. Yes. at any rate, uh, the inflatable tents in this case are not like big domes that you just you know you pull a, a cord and then suddenly it goes whoosh, and then you've got an igloo. It's not like that. Instead, it's a uh, a tent that has a frame, a grid-like structure that is made up of inflated inflatable tubes. You use a pump, usually a hand pump or foot pump, to pump it up. And then you've got the, uh, once you've got the frame pumped up, it holds up the rest of the tent. Oh, okay. So, so those inflatable tubes take the, uh, take the role of the poles that you would usually use in a normal tent. Now, uh, the one I was looking at specifically was one called the cave, which is designed by Heimplanet. They have since come out with a newer version called the wedge. Uh, and these are pretty cool. They're supposedly tested to withstand winds of up to 75 miles per hour, which is pretty gusty. I imagine they also need to be secured to the ground or else they go flying.
1: I would think so. It
0: could be, well, the tent is safe, but it's also four miles away from where we put it. Um, that would be the problem. It, super neat uh the other one i liked a lot was um one called the cocoon tree tent did uh, you get a chance to see this
1: yeah yeah there's there's a couple that we're going to talk about here that are meant to keep you up off of the ground while you're
0: sleeping which i'm in favor of if anyone has ever had to sleep on the ground even using like a foam uh pad between oh, sure. you and the ground oh not pleasant
1: yeah these these things are sort of like an an advanced protective hammock
0: yeah. You can think of it as uh, the the cocoon tree one looks like a little globe, a sphere. And it has uh, 12 points around the circumference of the sphere. Like, you know, if you were to be able to divide it directly in half, right around that line, uh, those 12 points are where you can secure it to various anchor points, usually trees. So six of those uh, anchor points would give it the suspension, as in it would actually hold it above the ground. The other six are what allow it to have some lateral stability, meaning it's not going to flippy floppy left or right. Because right. obviously when you get in and out, you don't want it to suddenly tilt and then everything comes tumbling.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so you want to connect it both to the trees and to the ground below.
0: Well, it's mostly to the trees, but it's it's to the trees in different points okay. so that you just kind of, it's kind of like a spider web in okay. that sense. And uh, you can also get, in fact, a net that goes under it in case you are a little worried about your securing abilities. Uh, and you don't actually have to have it suspended. I have seen other versions where you would have a little tripod legs that would hold it above the ground because you can't set it directly on the ground or it would start rolling. And that could be <laughs> important. Like if you are a restless sleeper and you toss and turn a lot, you could end up in another state.
1: Yeah, that's a hamster ball situation. Exactly. You don't, you don't
0: need that. I, I mean, it has its, has its charms, but probably not great for camping. But no, this thing is really cool. If you guys haven't seen it, look up Cocoon Tree Tent. It looks really neat. Uh, it, it's not light. It weighs 60 kilograms, which is about 132 pounds. So it's really heavy, but it's also supposed to be really sturdy. It supposedly can support up to two tons. Uh, the frame can, not the fabric. Obviously, that would be different. Right. But the frame itself is built. So it, and it's made out of aluminum. So it's, you know, super sturdy stuff. And this is really meant more to, uh, put into a, a, a location, secure it in a location. And then kind of leave it there for a while. Like you could use it over and over and over again over the course of a few months before you take it down.
1: Oh, right. You probably wouldn't want to go to the trouble of setting something this sturdy up for a weekend trip.
0: Yeah. It would be, it would be carrying a lot of weight. And I'm sure it takes a long time to set up. I mean, if you're, if you're securing this well above the ground so that you have kind of like this canopy view around you, Mm -hmm. then that means you have to climb that far up each anchor point before you can even start using this. And so, I imagine that, uh, this is, this is more of a long-term kind of project. The tent is three meters in diameter, which is just under 10 feet. And, uh, you can also, <laughs> according to the website, outfit it with cooling or he- heating elements for climate control for extreme camping conditions. Uh, as you might imagine, this is the sort of tent that people who have quite a bit of money to spare would go into. This is not something that's going to be cheap, but I I love the design of it just because it was really kind of unusual. That's why it appealed to me. And we'll try and share a link to the website when this uh, podcast goes live so you guys can take a look if you haven't looked at it already. But yeah, pretty neat stuff. Then if you wanted to spend slightly less money, have a little, have a a different way of having kind of like a hammock style tent. There's another company called Tent Siles Tree Tents. Tent Sile. It's cute. Anyway, the, <laughs>
1: I don't think you're allowed to disapprove of other people's puns.
0: That's I'm just sad I didn't make it. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a slightly less complicated. These they look to me like they would anchor at three points. So the base looks more or less sort of triangular. And uh, and it makes sense because they actually the company says that if you buy one of their tents, they'll go out and plant three trees.
1: Oh, cute! Yeah, so that would
0: that would to me that would correspond to the three anchor points that you would need. But same sort of thing use use cords to anchor each point of the tent to a different tree. You keep it nice and tense, and then you can get in and out of the tent either through a front door or there's actually a hatch like panel that you can open up from the bottom, which obviously you want to secure as uh, much as possible before you go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you might wake up uh, during a twelve foot fall to the ground or something. But um this one is particularly good for people who want to do stargazing or are able to secure it at some really picturesque spot. Because instead of it being like a canvas or, or opaque uh, canopy, it's mesh. So it's meant for you to have a view of the outdoors. Also means that don't be too picky about privacy issues.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and also probably that you want to go during good weather.
0: Yes. Yeah. If it's raining, you are probably going to have a pretty miserable time of it. But, uh, it was another one of those that I thought was pretty cool. They, there are a couple of different models that they have available and they are less expensive than the, uh, cocoon tree, um, uh, uh, camping tents and also easier to set up. You know, I, I'm sure it takes two or three people to put one of these up efficiently, but it's, uh, not as, it's not as heavy or bulky as the cocoon tree version. We have more to say about camping out, I'm guessing. (laughs) But first, let's take a quick break. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change.
2: Perfect home sweet home.
0: What if you're like me, Lauren? What if you are someone who cannot survive for more than, you know, five or six hours at most on a good day without checking one of my numerous mobile devices?
1: Well, this is getting much easier to do out in the wilds, and one of those reasons is solar-powered device uh, chargers. Yeah. Like, including your tent. Your tent can be solar-powered.
0: Yeah, you can get a solar-powered tent. Now, granted, the tent itself is not necessarily doing anything with that solar power. It may just have a battery pack that allows you to charge your devices from the energy that's collected through uh, the solar panels. So, yeah, there are tents out there right now that you can go out and buy they have solar panels incorporated into them in some way. There are others that are supposed to be hitting the market literally any day now. Like, there was one that I saw that had originally been scheduled to to come out on the market spring 2014, but as far as I can tell, it hasn't actually come out yet. Then there are some, uh, some concepts. They're not actually products that you can buy. The orange solar tent is the one that I saw pop up over and over. It was a really cool-looking design. Uh, it had very swoopy kind of lines to it, so it looked like, you know— this is the tent of the future. See, it has swoopy lines. And also the canopy it had over the, the top of the tent, like it had a fabric canopy. And then on top of that, it had these these panels that had the solar panels on them. these like it made it look like it was some sort of aphid or or arthropod of some sort. It looked like a carapace, <laughs> a, a shell, in other words. So it was really neat looking and it had you know lights that would light up at night. And this but this was all artist rendering. Mm-hmm. And it was essentially saying this is what you could do if you were to build this thing. And they even had like a, a panel that was uh, on the side of the tent, the inside of the tent, where you could put a uh, your mobile devices to charge. And it even had a little like touch screen interface of some sort. So really kind of cool. But again, it was all a concept prototype. Currently
1: non-existent.
0: Yeah. The stuff that does exist, a lot more modest, right? We're talking about solar panels that can... After several hours of being exposed to a good amount of sunlight can charge a simple battery pack, which then could charge your electronics.
1: So if you're going to be setting up your tent in a sunny area, this is going to be pretty useful. It's going right. to provide you the maximum amount of surface coverage, probably of any of your other gear yep. to provide solar absorption.
0: Yeah. Cause you're not <laughs> like things like if you have, and we'll talk about it in, in some other, you know, gadgets that fall into the same kind of category. But if you have other gear that's maybe portable that has solar panels incorporated into them, you may or may not be leaving it out all the time, right? You right. may you may need it for something else. Uh, whereas your tent kind of stays there once you pitch it. Sure. So that makes it, you know, uh attractive. However, it also means that you have to have that tent in that sunny area. If you have it in a shady area, you're not going to get as much sunlight. Um and if you do have it in a sunny area, if you live someplace like we do, you have to be prepared for that tent to be rather toasty when you're ready to to climb in at the end of the day, yeah, so. which could
1: be perfectly nice in colder, colder months. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think you could. One thing I would I mean, if I were designing one of these solar powered tents, one of the things I would uh, design is a very simple low power fan that could actually vent Hot air out of the tent while the the solar panel is active. Oh, hey, yeah. So some of the electricity can go to charging a battery pack. Some of it goes to running this little fan. It's kind of like I'm sure you've seen them for cars, where you can have these little solar panel things where it runs the a little fan to blow. In fact, I think we talked about a car Mm -hmm. that does this. So
1: possibly on forward thinking.
0: It might be. We do so many shows now. Yes. But yes, we have definitely talked about a car that has a similar concept to it. Uh,
1: at any rate, let's talk a little bit more about other devices that campers use in order to regulate body temperature.
0: Okay. Uh
1: Or, I mean, you know, temperature in general, but sure. they're mostly body temperature. So
0: I'm assuming we're moving away from tents and into the realm of the sleeping bag. Yes. Yeah. So I have um mixed emotions when I think back to sleeping bags. Because I just think of, uh, the ones that I had as a kid that were probably a little, uh, they were probably rated for a temperature lower than what Georgia has ever seen in the history of ever. Um, or maybe it's just because I would always go camping in like the spring and summer. Um,
1: well, sleeping bags are rated for specific temperatures. That's
0: true. And, and they, they use, they use a, a standard, an interesting standard. Cause here's the thing temperature when it comes to what's comfortable for a person is subjective by definition. Right. Sure. So what's comfortable for Lauren may not be comfortable for me and vice versa. So wow, what kind of standard do they use?
1: It's called the European norm, apparently.
0: Yep. And essentially what this is based off of is kind of a, a a surveyed average of temperatures and saying, all right, technically, if you want to get super general and keep in mind, it's a generalization, women get colder faster than men do, like at a, at a higher temperature. So you can have the same temperature and a man and woman are both in that temperature and the woman's going to feel colder, particularly at night when it's time to go to sleep, uh, than a man would. So the way they do their standards is they, they get a sleeping bag and they essentially test it by saying, all right, at what temperature, what's the lowest temperature we can get at where a woman is going to feel comfortable sleeping in that temperature. And uh, they end up calling that the comfort level. So then they say, all right, well, what's the lowest temperature we can we can set it at where a man will be comfortable inside this uh, sleeping bag? And that one is called the lower limit rating. So you usually see uh, both ratings on a sleeping bag. So one, the comfort level is, all right, well, if it's, you know, 35 degrees is the comfort level, then it could get down to 35 degrees and your average woman is going to be fine sleeping in the sleeping bag. If the lower level is 19 degrees, then it says your average man is still going to be fine all the way down to 19. A woman may be feeling very uncomfortable or at least a little chilly between those two temperatures. But then you also have what is called the extreme rating. And the extreme rating, that's the temperature below which you are in serious danger, even if you are inside the sleeping bag. Uh Really, it's based upon the lowest temperature a woman can uh endure <laughs> while inside that sleeping bag before saying... I'm getting a hotel room. Call me when this trip is over.
1: (laughs) Or, or getting hypothermia. That would
0: also be uh, another case. Yes. Right. So yeah, it's interesting that even though it's a a quote unquote standard, it's still obviously based on subjectivity. There's not like this hard and fast rule of saying at this temperature, you're going to be absolutely comfortable. It's more like, it's more what they call guidelines. If you want to be all Barbosa about it, (laughs) but, uh, that is if you ever see that a a a sleeping bag is rated for one of these temperatures, that's usually what it means. Most of them are going by the standard. Some of them may be going by their own kind of you know testing facility and surveys, but it's still basically the same thing saying how what temperature do people still feel comfortable while in this sleeping bag mm-hmm. um and so you also find sleeping bags that are meant for different types of uh of environments, like there's some that are the higher temperature ones. Which is usually 35 degrees Fahrenheit or or higher, and that would be uh, for things like people who want to go camping in the spring and summer months. Then you might have the multi-purpose sleeping bags that are good for between maybe like 10 degrees Fahrenheit to 35 degrees Fahrenheit, and that's meant to be you know a little more versatile so that you can camp throughout the year. And then you have the cold weather sleeping bags, which are usually something between like. Minus 10 degrees Fahrenheit to 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and that's meant for, you know, if you happen to be camping, like in Minnesota in the winter, you know, uh, if you're crazy. Um, some of you may be camping in Minnesota in the winter. I don't really think you're crazy. I would be crazy to do it. But anyway, those are your basic rules, more or less. So if you're ever looking for them, that's what you want to look for.
1: Mm-hmm. And all of these temperature ratings have to do with the, oh, well, Again, with material science, with yeah. what the shell is made of and what the filling is made of. Yeah. Traditionally, it was down of various kinds. Yeah, so duck being and goose. Duck and goose feathers. Yeah. And these days, a lot of it is plastics.
0: Yeah. You get a lot of synthetics uh, and you get a lot of um, water resistant or water repellent down. So regular down not necessarily water repellent. And that's... Well, it's
1: it's really warm, but it absorbs water yeah. like holy woe, yeah. which means that if you're in a cold situation and your down sleeping bag gets wet, it can become very dangerous very quickly because it might actually be sapping heat away from your body. Right. It, l- l- you would be worse off in it than you would be outside of it.
0: And some synthetics are the same way. That's why the water repellent down material has been developed. and uh, And... All of these are called fill in the industry. So if you ever see a fill power rating on a sleeping bag, what that's telling you is essentially how effective the insulation is at capturing heat. And the way they determine this, it's kind of cool. <laughs> it's called loft, I believe, but the way they determine it is they say how much space would one ounce of this insulation take. So if we, if we get an ounce of it, and we just let it be at its, its normal volume. Mm-hmm. How many cubic inches does that take up? And the more space it takes up, the more efficient uh, uh, insulator it is mm-hmm. and the lighter your your sleeping bag is going to be because it doesn't need as much material to fill it out. All right. So the higher the number is, the better off you are. So you might see fill power numbers, in or the, the
1: warmer you are, yeah, rather,
0: right? Well, and the well, light, and, and the, the lighter the okay. the sleeping bag sure. will be. So a fill power number of 600 is going to be uh, that that sleeping bag is going to be heavier than one that's rated at 700, which is going to be heavier than 750 or a hander. assuming that you're talking about two sleeping bags that have the same type of fill material in them, because obviously different materials are going to weigh different amounts. But uh, yeah, you want to have the higher number for it to be lighter. And you know these can be rated for different temperature ranges as well, but that's your general rule about sleeping bags. So most of the time when you're hearing about high-tech sleeping bags, they're usually talking about whatever the insulation material is and whatever the exterior material is and whether or not it's water repellent, how good it is at retaining heat. I mean, the whole secret here is that you want to separate the heat from the inside of the sleeping bag from the outer environment. You don't want that heat to be leached away. So that's what most of the designs of sleeping bags are all meant to prevent. It's really basic tech, but it's also really important tech. Oh, yeah. All right. What about backpacks? You know, those things that you carry all your other stuff in. You want them to be lightweight, I guess.
1: You do. Um It could be cool if they maybe had some solar panels yeah. on them because those... If you're hiking in the sun. Yeah, that could be, be very useful. I,
0: I actually used to have a backpack that had a solar panel in it. It was not a camping backpack. Uh, the the one downside to having a solar panel in your backpack is that it does take up space. Because that solar panel, I mean, obviously it needs to be connected to something or else that electricity is not doing you any good. Usually that's a battery pack, which is one uh, bulky and too heavy. Heavy, yeah. right. So there is a bit of a, uh, you know, that's something you got to you got to weigh, literally, <laughs> you need to weigh the importance of that element and whether or not, you know, it's really key for you to bring it along.
1: Uh, sure. But, you know, backpacks are yet again one of those material science related things yep. that uh, improvements in the fabric and the structure yep. of these guys has let them get lighter over the years.
0: Right. Again, really important when you're hiking. So now we're going to talk about the stuff, what you put into said backpack, like we wanted to take a look at some of the the incredible gadgets that you could carry with you. Mm-hmm. And because, uh, I mean, you know, ultimately, when you get down to it, if you're really roughing it, you essentially need a place to sleep, a thing to sleep in to keep you warm at night, and maybe some stuff to help you make a fire. Uh, for our friends who want to know how to make a fire, we have a treat for you. But that's going to be another podcast. So, One of the things we wanted to look at was uh, or what are some of the, the cool gadgets that are available today that can make camping a lot more comfortable? Yeah, maybe more convenient for those of us who just can't let go of our electronic society. And I am mainly talking about myself here. And the first one I wanted to talk about is one that is so cool that I'm tempted to buy one, even though I don't think I will ever willingly go camping ever again. And it's a camp stove. Uh, specifically the one I was looking at, and there are different ones, but the one that, that gets r- repeated multiple times throughout the internet is the BioLite, uh, camp stove. And the BioLite camp stove is cool. It, think of it as a camp stove where you can, you put twigs in it, and then you light a fire, and you use those twigs to help heat the stove, and then you can cook things on top of the stove. You can, uh, get one that has a, a, a grill surface and actually grill on the very top of it.
1: So it sounds like a pretty basic portable grill.
0: Except that it also happens to have a fan powered generator attached to it so that the heat from the fire will turn the fan, which will then generate electricity, allowing you to charge electronics on your you know, through your stove. I mean, not on your stove. You wouldn't no, want to melt them. That would,
1: that would be bad. That's Don't a do terrible that. idea. Yeah, but you they can, can
0: explode. You can connect a, a USB cord to this uh, stove's power outlet and actually j- charge your, your electronics while you cook. And it takes about four and a half minutes from what I read to boil a pot of water. And uh, you get about maybe 20 minutes of charging in a typical cooking scenario. So it's not like you get a, t- it's not like you're going to recharge your entire, you know, phone, but it'll extend your battery going a little longer. And, you know, if you're use, if you're supplementing that with other means to keep your stuff uh, supplied with a charge, oh, you're sure. good.
1: And every little bit helps, right? Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk for a minute about hand warmers, which are really more chemical tech than straight gadgetry tech, but I, I think that they're really cool. So you've got both single use and rechargeable or multi-use hand warmers. And and the single use ones are just these little pouches that contain iron powder, water, and salt, which together will react with oxygen when the packet is exposed to air. It's an exothermic reaction, which means that it creates heat and uh, kind of as a byproduct, in this case, rust.
0: Yeah, iron oxide.
1: Right. Uh huh. And uh, they, they usually also contain an absorbent or adsorbent material to to hold on to the water until it's needed in, for the reaction, and mm-hmm. also activated carbon to help disperse the heat. Cool. So those are the single-use ones. Right. Once you know, once they 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 warm up pretty well. Right. But once they're done, they're, they're done, done forever. Yeah, you gotta mm-hmm. you
0: gotta toss it. You can't recharge that in any way. You cannot. No, the multi-use ones though, they're really cool. Wait, wait. If you have a hand warmer, how can it be cool, Lauren? That sounds like it. Doesn't work at all.
1: So they're these sealed pouches of supersaturated saline solutions. Uh, usually, sodium acetate and water is the solution that they're made of. And this stuff is really stable. It's really happy to exist as a liquid way below its freezing point, uh, and/or its crystallization point, because it does that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that crystallization or freezing point happens to be 130 degrees Fahrenheit or 54 degrees Celsius, which you know, is way above room temperature. Yes,
0: it's, that's quite warm.
1: That's significantly above yeah. it, right. Uh, so it's happy hanging out as a liquid at room temperature. But this pouch that contains it also contains this little disc-like gidget that secrets away a couple crystals of sodium acetate from the rest of the liquid. Oh. And when you manipulate that disc by kind of popping it, the crystals hit the liquid and seed this really quick crystallization process. Now, since a solid a.k.a. the the crystal, the frozen version mm-hmm. of this stuff, is a lower energy state than a liquid. That energy of it going from a liquid to a solid very quickly has to go somewhere, right. and it's released as heat. Right,
0: because as we know, you can't create or destroy energy, but you can convert it from one form to another.
1: Right, so uh, and awesome. then you can recharge this kind of pack by boiling it in water for for maybe ten minutes you have to melt all of the crystals right. and a couple seed crystals will stay in the disk and then you can so you
0: can just keep using it until there are no more seed crystals left in that disc and then you might have to get a new one.
1: uh you can you can use it until you basically break the bag. Got it. You will never run out of seed crystals That's because really the way cool. that the disk is formed mm-hmm. it, it will it will just kind of hide a couple interesting when the rest of it gets crystallized. That's really
0: cool. Wow. I had never yeah, now I've fallen into the whole hand warmer cool problem. We need to take another quick break, but we will be right back. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change.
2: your perfect home, sweet home.
0: So, speaking of water, water filters obviously very important. If you're going to be camping oh yeah. someplace, you want a, you want a clean source of water, yep, both for drinking and for cooking with. And so, water filters and purifiers. I mean, there are a ton of them out there. Some of them are very simple. They might use, you know, uh, essentially carbon to like a charcoal type filter. For to filter water through. To draw
1: stuff out, right? Yeah,
0: you might just fill it up and it takes like a minute for it to filter through and then you get filtered water on the other end. Some of them are more active than that. They don't just have a passive system that water flows through. For instance, I've seen a few that end up using a UV purification light, so ultraviolet light. And that's because ultraviolet radiation can kill microbial nasty stuff. Mm-hmm. And the one I saw specifically, you would turn the lamp on and then agitate the water, meaning you shake it. For about a minute. <laughs> okay. And then that ultraviolet light should pretty much kill off anything that happens to be in the water. You first would filter the water before you would pour it into the bottle because, uh, you know, you want to get rid of anything macro first. Sure. Like, yes. you know, maybe I don't want to put a fish in here or something. <laughs> oh. Crawdaddy. You can tell I grew up in the South. Uh, And then you use the UV to get rid of all the little microbial stuff. That's pretty neat. And in fact, that's one of those that I looked at a lot of websites that had. Lists of gadgets that you would want to take with you on camping trips, like the high-tech stuff. And that was one of the ones that popped up over and over again, presumably uh, written by people who actually go camping as opposed to myself. Well,
1: uh, clean water is really good. I, you know, another kind of low-tech way of doing it is you can always boil your water Yeah. for a good long time.
0: It might not necessarily taste great, but at least you've killed off anything that would p- potentially do you harm. So, uh, but yeah, that's always also a very important thing to keep in mind. If you don't have one of these filter things uh, handy, you still want to take precaution, obviously, before, uh, just (laughs) dunking your head in the nearest water source and drinking deep, uh, or deeply, I should say. Then we have solar powered charging stations in general. There are a lot that are, you know, handheld. There's some that you end up fanning out in a, I've seen one that looks like a, a, like a, a large cell phone and then it ends up having this sort of three panel pedal thing where. Oh, you, sure. You yeah. just
1: fold the little bits out.
0: Yep. And then you just put it on some, some surface that is exposed to sunlight and you let it charge. Uh, most of them have battery packs. So you're not charging directly from solar panel to your device. Sure. You are, or you could, but you also can charge the onboard battery.
1: To save it for later. Uh, and, there's also the good old classic hand crank.
0: Yep. Oh, man. I've got one of those, actually. Yeah? Uh, yep. I have one of those. It's kind of an emergency radio slash radio light generator slash kind of generator. Thing. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. And most of those, you give it a good cranking for like 30 seconds to a minute, and then uh, you may, you know, it's pretty vigorous. I mean, you have to do a lot of k- kinetic work. It's it's converting kinetic energy into electrical energy. And you got to do a lot of work in order for you to get even a little bit of electricity out. But it might be enough electricity for you to do something like send a quick text message, which could be the difference between life and death, depending upon your situation. Sure. So uh, there are a lot of different companies that make these um, Swiss Army uh, company that is famous for the Swiss Army knives also makes stuff like this or partners with people who do make stuff like this. I used to see them at CES every year. I'd see these different cool emergency kits that include a hand crank charging station along with usually the hand crank charging station is also something like a lantern and a radio and I don't know, a tour guide. I mean, they, they got kind of crazy eventually, but it's pretty neat stuff. Then I also saw fuel cells. Wait, camping fuel cells. Yeah, actual fuel cells. Uh, there's one called the Power Trek and it's it's light enough for you to carry. Like you can either clip it on the outside of your backpack or actually carry it inside your backpack and it uses little hydrogen pucks. Now, a fuel cell, you've probably heard us talk about them before, but in case you're not familiar, fuel cells use hydrogen and oxygen. And, uh, you know, those, those two elements like to combine into the stuff we, we call water. But let's say you've got a chamber filled with hydrogen and oxygen. And you've separated them with a membrane and the membrane only allows hydrogen through if it's an ion, meaning that it's shed its electron. Uh, then you can channel those electrons to do work before they recombine on the other side where the hydrogen ions, the oxygen, and then the electrons coming in all can form water. So that's your basic uh, fuel cell. And power Trek is, that's basically what it is. The little hydrogen pucks contain hydrogen gas, which combine with oxygen. You get some electricity and a little bit of water vapor as the byproducts, and you can charge your electronics using that. So yeah, if you want to be super high tech carry a fuel cell with you. (laughs) Um, And fortunately, the hydrogen oxygen fuel cells can operate at temperatures that are comfortable to us. A lot of fuel cells, when you get into the industrial level, have to be heated up to temperatures that are, you know, not conducive to living for humans. So fortunately, this is not one of those. It would not be a very good camping accessory otherwise.
1: Uh, No. Uh, On the slightly less ridiculously high tech level, camping showers... I mean, because anyone can construct a shower in a camp by putting some water in a bag and hanging it from a tree and yeah. kind of letting it drip down and on you. Poke
0: a hole into the, yeah, uh-huh. the the bag of some sort. Yeah. But, but
1: if you want to go a little bit more high tech than that.
0: Yeah, there are a couple of different options. I saw one where it was uh, one that could fold up into a very small case so that you could actually, you know, carry it in one hand. But then, of course, when you fill it up, you'd hang it from, like, a tree or something, let it sit in the sun. The sun heats up the water, and then you've got a nice warm shower. So well, you're hey. not you're not freezing while you take your shower. Uh, but there's another uh, some other ones I saw where it actually includes inflatable bladders that are inside the bag that holds all the water. So you fill it up with water. You leave it out in the sun. You let it get nice and warm. And then you go and you use, like, a foot pump or a hand pump. To pump up the bladders, the inflatable bladders that are inside this this bag. To
1: push the water out at you slightly more
0: vigorously. Yeah, it's like a pressurized shower. Yeah. Yeah. So it ends up being a little bit more of a a shower experience and not just using gravity to pull the water down. Because, I mean, these days are behind me. But back when I used to wash my hair, (laughs) obviously... Um, you wouldn't be able to rinse out something like soap or, or shampoo out of your hair very effectively if you don't have any water pressure. Anyone who's had to deal with that knows what I'm talking about. So that was the way of getting around that. It's, it's actually a pretty low-tech but uh, creative solution to that problem. Um, also, very important is to have some sort of GPS receiver, whether that is your phone or its own receiver. There are a lot of receivers out there that are uh, very good at just barely sipping power so you can uh-huh. carry it on a longer trip
1: and really simple ones that you know aren't you're not doing a whole lot with but can at least just give a ping yeah. and tell someone
0: where you are right and keep you informed of where you are as well mm-hmm. so that way you know you might notice if you're heading toward an area where there isn't an easy source of water or something along those lines very mm-hmm. important uh two-way radios also really important usually uh you know I always recommend if people are going to go camping or hiking to do it with a friend, you know, and also to let people know when you're going to do it. Uh, this is—I did a an episode on geocaching years ago, and that was one of those basic rules: is let people know when you're going to go out and do something, oh, so that certainly. someone knows yeah. where you are.
1: And there are ways to stay safe when you're solo camping. Yeah, but. It sure. involves a lot of planning and a lot of know-how and a lot of telling people where you're going to right. be. Right,
0: just in case that, you know, something unexpected happens. Like maybe some bad weather makes it you know, very difficult for you to make your way back to your vehicle or something along those lines. Anyway, two-way radio is very useful. There are a lot of really advanced ones out there on the market now. I mean, back in the day, uh, you would have limited range and uh, limited battery life. But now we've got some that are very battery conscious and can operate up to... 35 miles apart if you have a a good, clear line of sight. Um, Obviously, if you are in a deeply wooded area and you're both in (laughs) separate valleys, that's probably not going to be as as, uh, effective. But uh, 35 miles is pretty significant. And a lot of them will also allow you to tune into other radio stations, not just a communications channel, but perhaps something like a weather report from uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. Uh, A lot of those, in fact, uh, the hand cranks that I was talking about earlier, the ones that are often radios and lanterns, a lot of those also have that kind of capability so that you can check FM, AM, radio and and Hmm. NOAA alerts. Uh Very important when you're out there by yourself or even, you know, with a couple of other people just to let you know if a storm's coming. Uh, Digital binoculars. These are awesome. I I think, uh, of course, we're all familiar with what they can do from the documentary Star Wars A New Hope. Uh, when sand people are coming toward you and they're walking in a single file, you know, to hide their numbers, it's important for you to be able to spot them from a long way away. Uh, also, these things often have video recorders in them. So you can look at, you know, interesting wildlife and actually record what you're seeing.
1: Oh, cool. And yeah. some of
0: them have um multiple cameras, like two cameras, like, you're, you know, essentially it's mimicking your eyes, which means that the images they record are three dimensional. You can play it back in 3D. Then you've got uh survival tools, multi-tools, very useful because they pack a lot of utility into a very compact form factor. Oh,
1: uh, relatively compact. So I've seen some that get a little <laughs> bit on the ridiculous side. Okay,
0: yeah. There, there's some where, like, you know, I, I think I've seen, like, the, the ultimate Swiss Army knife, which has every single...
1: Like 98 attachments. Yeah, it's every it's single just...
0: attachment that Swiss Army knife company has ever done, and it just looks ridiculous. You know, you need, like two people to hold it up
1: it's like a baseball bat essentially
0: yeah but but your typical multi-tool has things that would become really handy when you're out there in the woods like perhaps a fire starter you know something like a flint and steel which we'll talk about in our our pyro episode
1: yes we we have not talked in this entire episode about fire starting technology because that that has its whole own episode
0: to itself we're doing that uh immediately after we record this one we're kind of looking forward to it uh, I've seen some that have things like uh, a way of alerting people if you're in distress, usually a whistle. One of the ones I looked at was able to produce a tone of 100 decibels, which oh, is wow. pretty loud. Yeah. Yeah. When you get above uh, 85 decibels, that's about the that's the level of safe. Huh. So 100. It, it's meant to be that loud so that if you are truly in distress, you are alerting people that this is a problem and they need to try and find you. And uh, obviously, that is going to be much louder than you crying out for help.
1: Right. Absolutely. Although although I do have to say, so you could say that that particular gadget has
0: bells and whistles. Nice. Yes, you could say that. Or at least it has the whistle part. So, yeah, uh, I've also seen them that have a compass, knives. I've wrote multiple knives because I know how to spell. Uh, <laughs> signal mirror. That's, uh, I mean, very low tech, but very useful. LED lights, uh, they might have wire or cord or other kind of things that allow you to secure stuff to other stuff, uh, which comes in handy in survival, uh, scenarios. Yes. And, uh, you know, other things too. You know, like some of them have things like fish hooks, that kind of stuff. It all depends upon the individual tool, but, uh, and I've seen these worked into things like, um, hiking, uh, poles where you use a, a pole to, to help you maintain your balance and keep you going even when you're hiking in rough terrain. Sometimes those have survival tools built into the handles, which are pretty cool too. And he, the 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 person who loves spy gadgets is going to love that kind of camping tech. Oh, sure. Cuz it's all about conserving that space and weight, which often means that it looks like it must be made for spies cuz everything's folded away in these little secret compartments that's not always neat. But um there's, Maybe we need something low tech.
1: Yeah, sometimes really low tech is best. There are those survival bracelets you guys might have seen, mm-hmm. which are woven of incredibly strong, uh, not yarn, tech yarn,
0: <laughs> wire,
1: wire, um, something to that cord. extent, cord, yeah. probably. Yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> that that you can use in in any number of survival situations, mm-hmm. and also, hey, analog maps. Maps yeah. that are on paper or perhaps some kind of plastic. The great thing about these, you guys, is that they don't run out of batteries.
0: Right. Nor nor do they have some sort of system crash where you have to...
1: You never get a blue screen. Yeah, you don't have to reset map. your map. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Things may have changed since the map was made, but probably not so significantly that you can't, you know, can't make use of the map. Now, if you're looking at a map of, like, this is Pangea, probably not going to be helpful.
1: Uh Yeah. Be careful which map you pack. Yeah. <laughs> Also, I mean, if you pack a map of Endor, it's probably right. not going not, not gonna to be helpful. No. Um, but I just wanted to put that out there. You know, so, sometimes you might want to bring one of those. I, in fact, in general, I would always recommend bringing one of those along. Definitely. Yeah. So there's, just for
0: there's some cool stuff out there that you can, you can take with you. If you're a camping enthusiast and uh, you want to be able to maybe trick out your, your campsite a little bit more with some high tech stuff, maybe something like that, uh, that, that camp stove I talked about earlier. Uh, those things can be, you know, they can make your experience a little more comfortable. Uh, for people who say, well, that's not real camping. Obviously, you can go as uh, as as rough and ready as you want. Uh, someone like me, um, not gonna happen. But if it did happen, it's gonna be as comfortable. I mean, I'm gonna have an inflatable uh pad <laughs> to sleep on. I'm going to have uh probably an air-conditioned tent. I mean, it's just going to have to be... You know, be... I,
1: I think that if it's getting you out there, then it's kind of beautiful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, until Google Earth has every square inch of the planet completely mapped so that way I can just virtually go there, Uh obviously once in a while I'm going to have to drag my carcass out into nature and, and see what's going on. Seriously, though, I mean, I, I joked about this on, uh, Facebook while I was doing the research, but it really is true. As I was looking at these gadgets, it made me want to get a few of them and actually go camping. The only thing that keeps me from doing that is knowing that once I'm in that situation, I'll be questioning my sanity, but, <laughs> but it makes me want to do it. And again, it's cause the idea of camping is so.
1: It's nice. It sounds peaceful.
0: Yeah. And that and you pretty. get to, you get to appreciate landscapes that we who live in cities don't see that frequently. And that wraps up that classic episode of tech stuff. You know, uh, speaking of camping, uh, it's interesting. Once uh, a couple of years ago, I was talking about the possibility of starting a show, kind of a mini series to talk about camping and and outdoorsy kind of activities uh, for someone like me, someone who who is not particularly interested or skilled in it. Someone I mean I enjoyed camping back when I did it. I just don't do it anymore. And um, someone who has become accustomed, let us say, to the modern comforts uh, beyond what is reasonable, one might argue. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to do a series where I actually try to do some camping and some outdoorsy type stuff? And I rely heavily on tech that's made for that purpose and to see if that actually makes the experience you know, something I enjoy or if the tech actually gets in the way of it. Uh, I never, never actually got to the point where I launched it, but it's an idea that continues to come back to me. So maybe I will revisit it because I think that could be a really interesting series. First of all, it's going to be hilarious because I'm hopeless when it comes to outdoorsy stuff. But also, I just think like to put this tech to the test, find out does it really help you or is it completely unnecessary Uh, Or does it just make something that is difficult for me impossible? That's really what I want to know. So maybe I'll look into that. If that sounds interesting to you, let me know over on Twitter. The handle for the show is techstuffhsw. You can also let me know if there are any topics you would like me to cover in the future. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you
2: dare. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end.